Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wake up in the morning feeling like... Waterman is extremely well. She's very slippery. You don't own me. Okay, now the tough question. Is this a try? Yes or no? Just because I'm a woman. Hello, tryhards. Hey, everyone. Hope you all had a good long Easter weekend. Did you have a good long Easter weekend? <laughs> oh, you know what? I I did. I worked reasonably hard, um, but I made the most of the new rules that the government have allowed and finally got out and went on a dog walk with the just magnificently wonderful Sarah Guest and Nom and just and their beautiful little dog Peyto um, who have finally met she's even more mental than Koya I mean Koya was quite pathetic actually compared to Peyto when it came to running off and playing in the woods but um, yeah just so so awesome on Monday to see them and I think that that's maybe we didn't do it last week did we but I think that's my pause for positivity just the value of getting out and and meeting other people and I think everyone's probably done it now um although it is snowing but if it even if it feels like a bit of a mission to do it um it I'm not saying it did for us but I'm just for anyone just get out and and go and see someone because it was just awesome how about you um yeah I had a lovely Easter weekend spent it with mum and dad up at their house unfortunately my sister was working um but we had a lovely time, the three of us. I've got a great top tip for you. So Karen Jones is notorious for being a bit of a cheap skate when it comes to like Easter eggs. Like <laughs> she wouldn't be one of those mums who gets you like one of those big old Thorntons, like egg the size of your living room kind of numbers. She's very much like that standard dairy milk one where you get a bag of buttons and that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I get up there for Easter and I am presented with this huge bumblebee beehive shaped Easter egg in like a caramel kind of chocolate, my fave, delish, with a tray of truffles. It was absolutely amazing. Like, oh, magnifique. And then it was from Aldi, went to Aldi with mum and dad on Monday and I was looking in the special buys magazine, you know, the, ma- the magazine about the middle aisle. And it said the price of the egg. And I was like, mum, like, pound Easter egg. No, the top was ripped. So it was reduced. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's why there was sellotape on it. 
talk, all right? <laughs> so, oh. top tip for you. If, if you want to get your kids a more expensive Easter egg next year, look for ones that have got ripped lids and they'll reduce it in Aldi. <laughs> or just rip the lid as you're walking up. Well, I, I'm not no, making that accusation. <laughs> you're going to have to say that to her face at some point. So, But yeah, it was lovely. So I had two Easter eggs. I had a Maltesers one from my sister. Um, I got her the chocolate dog, Walter, from um, M&S because she wants a puppy, um, which big news in the Jones family is that my sister has sold her flat in Bridgend and she's moving closer to where we live. Um, I say closer. She's literally moving between. I'm not saying that when my sister was born, she came between me and my parents, but her new flat is between my flat and my parents' house. So, <laughs> yes, again, and she is going to be able to get a puppy now that she's moving so big oh wow what type of dog does she want she's going to get a boy border terrier okay why a boy she can't have a girl because we've got two girl dogs and they pack a little bit so they're not great with other small girl dogs um so she's going to get a boy and she's going to call him angus how can you how can you prep a name for a dog before you've seen it i all of our dogs were named before we saw them what did you really and be like what does she look like well yeah we didn't wait until like genuinely that was a thing like i wait i was like we can't we were coming up with all different names and i was like we can't choose until we've met her (laughs) so weird i thought that was a thing (laughs) No, that is so weird. I think border terriers in well in our family they have to have quite like Scottishy Gaelicy names. I say that, but Nelly's not really that Scottish. Um, Nell, it is. I think Nell is a Scot. Isn't there a famous Scottish Nell? Um, and then the boy that we had before was Archie. So Sophie's going to call him Angus. I think she was between Angus and Peter. Um, but yeah, Archie. And actually, our Archie was named after classic BBC TV programme. Do you remember Monarch of the Glen? Oh, yes. Yeah. I did love Monarch of the Glen. You know, my claim to fame with Monarch of the Glen, we stayed in, it wasn't an Airbnb back in the day. I think it was just a rental house. A giant, like a, no, a, a giant place. Um, our family and another couple of families. And we basically just took up bikes and just took over up in Scotland. And we went we'd go for these like giant cycle rides um absolute carnage so imagine me and my brothers just us three were bad enough um and we cycled past monarch of the glen and it was when monarch of the glen was a good thing so it was like super impressive yeah there you go program i went to school one of my friends from school i remember like coming for sleep over at our house and we were talking about it and she turned around and said oh i thought it was called monica the glen (laughs) like no <laughs> definitely not yeah, um, so. anyway should we, should we talk about some other things maybe rugby I did a bit of rugby at the weekend I was busy I also watched 9,523 hours of rugby with all of the round 16 um, obviously some thrilling matches in the Heineken Champions Cup um, but also then the two test matches, which I'm sure we will get onto at some point. But well, but I'm only going to do that if you put that pen down and stop clicking it because I'm going <laughs> to throat. 
Um, I was going to say, I actually picked off my Saturday with a little, I washed my hair. I was in such a rush to get my hair dried because you had the early kickoff on Channel 4. Um, and it meant I had the standard annoyance of going up to my parents and dad saying, oh, this is Danielle. Can I hear Danielle? Is that Danielle commentating? Yes, you know it is. Stop saying it. How was, how was it being back at Wasps, back at the Rico? Oh, it was interesting actually because on our like call before uh, in the week in prep for the um, for the show, and I think our producer Gaffin gets a little bit concerned when the commentators are in vision, so he has to really run through like what we're going to talk about um, just in case uh, we might go a bit crazy. Um, but Lee was on Lee McKenzie was on the call and she was like I'm pretty sure I interviewed you at the Rico Nolly a couple of years ago that was your last game and I was like yes it was and Gethin was like okay this is this is the show we're talking about we're not reminiscing anyway when I arrived and I walked into the stadium I was walking in with Miles Harrison and I said I mean walked past the corner we scored and I did the classic scored a try there <laughs> what a loser anyway um it was really weird because I talked through like the I've been there since but just being there in such an empty stadium and reflecting with miles my decision to retire was made on that field it wasn't beforehand I hadn't preempted it I'd had such a good game like a good game like so much fun it was like mini rugby again just like loads of like big tackles and scored and it was just wicked fun really good laugh and then at the end of the game the side we were walking down where the commentary box is was where mo- the vast majority of friends and family were, whereas mine were on the other side because they were in hospitality. And so I'd wangled them in, God help the people in that hospitality because my brothers were let loose on a free bar. But I was waiting to do the post-match interview with Sky and I was kind of just stood there on my own because all the players had disappeared on the other side. And I looked up in the, in the box in hospitality and they didn't know I was watching them, um, but I just watched all my, my family um, just partying and dancing around and just having like just having the best time and genuinely thought if that's the last time I wear this white shirt on the field and this is the last memories I've got looking up at my family I just that's just absolutely the best feeling ever in the world I'm grinning now thinking about it and speaking about it Um, and actually also thought I remember thinking as I walked over to the sky to do my interview I could announce my retirement now. And then I was like, no, Nolly, don't jump the gun. You might regret it. <laughs> Maybe think about it a bit more. And, and then your family. <laughs> out of retirement as long as you could. <laughs> then I retired. I'm in only international rugby. And I'm not retired. <laughs> oh, no, but I'm also, when I do finish, I'm not going to tell anyone I've retired. I'm just going to keep it going for ages. And um, no, I actually retired from away games of international duty. And then I'm going to check it. Anyway. The game, just like that last test match for me, did not disappoint. Oh, my God. I was so heartbroken. And I know you shouldn't be um, biased towards a team. And I wasn't in the commentary and what I was saying. But I just so wanted Wasps to win that game. Um, I, knowing the players, having spoken to a couple of the coaches in the week. Um, and I was really excited because I'd already like I'd given my... I was calling player of the match. It was the first time I'd done the Heineken star of the match. And I was like taking it really seriously. And I'd made some notes and some names and I'd like whittled it down. And because it was going to the last bit, it was like, we need, like I picked someone from both teams. So I was like, if whoever it is, like this is the, yeah, this is who, because it is, you know, 
there wasn't a standout standout performance from one yeah. person and I was so excited and I'm going to announce it whether this is a right or wrong thing to do but I was going to give it if wasps had won I was going to give it to Michael Le Bourgeois who actually is just epitomizes everything that's great about rugby the, the, like his journey through championship the fact that he's good mates with the Gullivers <laughs> so he's obviously loose as hell um but just he just put in a massive shift and I just would have loved him as not a massive name within that Wasps yeah. team to get the recognition because he put in an absolute shift um saying that I gave it to Matsushima who scored the winning try who, who broke the stake up. through the heart I think broke everyone's hearts and it's weird that you say you know you didn't want to be biased as a former Wasps player like I'm not a former Wasps player which will shock a lot of listeners here um I'm not a Wasps <laughs> fan but I really loved Joe Launchbury and it really I was just I could have cried at the end like I I think that he is somebody for me who because he does his talking on the pitch he's a a kind of reserved quiet bloke but if you cut him in half it says wasps in the middle like a stick of rock and I just was gutted for him really gutted for him I want Joe Launchbury to do well like he's the kind of player that I have a huge respect for because he is no nonsense Love him to bits. And yeah, I was gutted. Really made me sad. Though, one thing I will pick up on is you were commentating on Saturday lunchtime. On Friday evening, I got myself very excited because Irish legend Fiona Coughlin was meant to be commentating on the Leinster Toulon game, which fell to COVID. Um, But conversely in that one, it meant she had some time on her hands and we now know what she applied that time to. I hadn't even thought about it like that. <laughs> I think it's quite obvious. I was just regretting my choice of allowing Fiona to, to come onto the Guinness Legends League. I was like, I've brought someone in. Like, I've brought a whole group of players, absolute legends, people that have got a load of insight. I didn't even think about the fact that they were going to then spank me in the league. <laughs> We did. We have had an absolutely treacherous start to the first round of the Women's Six Nations match pint, but Ireland haven't played a game yet. Fiona is top of the Legends League. She is sitting pretty with a perfect prediction to her name and a very close one in the other game. Um, yeah, it's. I think this is going to be an interesting few weeks. A couple of shout outs right. for the um, the Tryhards League though. I mean, newsflash from Gemma Collins last week. Who knew that former glamour model Katie Price was such a big fan of both <laughs> and women's rugby because Katie Price is, I believe, joint third in the Tryhards League. I have to say for legal reasons, I cannot be sure that that is Jordan. It could be. <laughs> uh, however, congratulations to her. Uh, Claire Thomas, who has been pitched side for a number of the Allianz Premier 15s games this season. It's obviously been honing her match point skills there because she's in the top five as well. Uh, perfect prediction as well. Yeah, there's some big names up there. So You know what? I'm just looking at that list of tryhards. I've got a funny story. Oh, Gary Street's on there. World Cup winner. I, I feel like he's earned the right to be in the Guinness Legends. Who not put Gary Street in the Guinness Legends League? I didn't know he was playing. Yeah, he can go in. I'll, uh, well... I, I don't make those calls. I can just put his name forward. <laughs> but I love the fact, though, that he has coached probably half the people in that league as well, just by the nature of the people who were in there. There's so many Bath College girls, I think. So, Oh, my God. Saying that, I'm just literally looking at a name. One of perfect prediction and one person. So 
give a bit of backstory. When we were looking at the Guinness Legends, one of the first names on the list was Georgie Gulliver, played over 30 odd times for England, Saracens, was a barbarian, all sorts of things, absolute menace on the beers, but has always partaked in, partaked, is that the right word? Um, partaken. Partook. Partaken. <laughs> um, she's always played match point. Good point. Yeah, her and Ben and so she was straight in and then because she was in and I spoke to Kimmy Oliver and Rocky they joined and then I realized all of a sudden when I got a message from George that it was basically their little group which they called the Spice Girls had managed to wangle their way onto the Guinness Legends however the fourth member of that Spice Girls group is Kerry Large and I got a screenshot of their group that basically was asking Kerry would she join and her response was, is it free? So <laughs> that is the most women's rugby that epitomizes women's rugby. Is it free? It is free to play. If you haven't yet signed up, you can still sign up. We have prizes round by round, um, not just for the overall winner. So get involved, sign up. Um, I actually think it's a really good way just to remember what fixtures are on the weekend because. We are playing this two-league round-robin women's Six Nations, um, and not every team is playing every weekend, so it's a good way to keep your head in the game, which I think should bring us on, perhaps, to the action on the weekend. And I think we should start with... Um, I noticed your tweet after the, the game on Saturday, the England game. Decent scoreline, but you'd have been frustrated if you were part of that team because despite the amount of time together, they looked rusty, was what you said paraphrasing slightly yeah I was going to say thanks for that um <laughs> yeah it, it's interesting because I I saw like the response of the players and the body language and I think I'm still so close to that team that I feel feel what they're feeling as if I, I had been in part of that 80 minutes and and it's difficult because I'm now not part of it but I still feel it so it's really hard to kind of put that over in a message for people to understand and it's not like and and actually to kind of to put all of that into context, it isn't. It isn't actually about the skill level of the players. It's more about the. I I'm questioning why have they got, why were they rusty when they've had so much time together? What has happened in training? Because Mids has come out to say they've gone harder, more physical than they than they have done for a long time. Having spoken to a number of the girls, they have confirmed that. <laughs> they've said that they've been a bit battered. Um, but yet, as soon as they come under pressure in the outside channels, as soon as like certain elements, there they were, they were more penalties um, and, and their handling came apart, some of their decision-making under pressure, their choices were to me didn't marry up to what they should have covered in training that should have been ironed out in training and and I think the only reason why it's potentially like that is they haven't looked at you know various there's various types of pressure that you can include in training and and actually are they going 15 on 15 have they got the numbers to do that are they looking at certain types of defense where they're getting up and in between you know that the, the Scottish girls did really well of getting in between the England attackers. You know, there was a couple of kicks that were put out on cross fields. You know, are they doing that because that looks great in training and it's come off in training or is that the right decision to put that in at the, that moment in a test match? Would you make that same decision if it was New Zealand or the scoreline was tight or whatever? And, and I think 
you know, there's always going to be decisions that uh, you can challenge. And especially when you've got a new young fly half. And I love the fact that um, Helena Rowlands was playing with confidence. It probably made it harder because Lange, another younger player, was outside her. So she, she doesn't have that massive experience, you know, from a decision-making process. Normally it's your 10-12 combination. Um, but there were certain things that just seemed a little rushed and, and lacked the detail that I know as an England player. And I know those players in particular would hang their hat on and it didn't come out. And, you know, exits were a really, really clear one. You know, the ball got sliced off the field quite a few times. And, and that's not because Helena doesn't have a fantastic kicking game. It, it seemed rushed and it's like well wh why is that and what's happening and I'm sure as I'm talking about all of this the players will be pulling it apart more so than anyone would ever believe in in their analysis what I want what I want to see and what be interesting is how the coaches allow the training sessions around them to to facilitate the learnings and embed it with young players to make sure that they they don't just give them a pat themselves a pat on the back because I know they won't at 50 odd points, but they say, right, that shouldn't have been 50 points. That should have been 80 points. And like, and this is how we, we, we move the dial. There were positives in the match though. I know that there have been um, comments previously, not on this podcast, but other places that um, Jess Breach can be a bit of a goal hanger. That was not a goal hangers try. That was <laughs> like beauty. Well, she was hanging around for the ball to come down to her for a while. Um, hell of a try from Jess. She took that really well. Um, it was, I saw an interview with O2 Inside Line and uh, she was like, yeah, it was a bit awkward that I had to meet beat my um, housemate, Chloe Rolly, um, on a one-on-one. -on -one. She was like, that was a bit sad, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Um, yeah, like Poppy Cleo. Yeah, Poppy Cleo, I thought, you know, she was... She was who she is, you know, she she loves getting the ball in the hands and shifting it and, and she was physical. Um, Scuzzy got 600 points, which is brilliant. Um, and also a little shout out to a couple of people returning from injury. Um, Kath O'Donnell, who I refer to as a serial killer. Um, <laughs> Lydia Thompson back, um, Zoe Allcroft back from injury. And also, I think probably the last word on England has to go to Bryony Cleo. Two years between first and second cap. Scored on her first cap, scores on her second cap, and uh, all credit to her because she's also in the process of all of that, moved into the front row, which uh, is savage. Really impressive minerals from her there. I am going to ask you to give me a player of each team during the Women's Six Nations. So Poppy Cleal, player of the match, was she your player of the England team on Saturday? Yeah, I think so, just in terms of her influence, in terms of what she did. Um she did get a yellow, but I think that that was, well, maybe that was because there was repeated infringements and and would she have gone? It was pretty cynical. She wiped the nine, but um, yeah, I think Poppy was was the right call for that. Um, we haven't really spoken about Scotland and I was actually really impressed. I think some of the stuff um, talked about some of the their ability to, to play. I mean, England went down to 13, which kind of gave Scotland a bit more confidence to play. Um, but when they did have that, they they got they did get stuck in. I think where they're struggling was to exit, getting a decent enough platform for the kickers to strike cleanly for the ball um, and also just distance on their kicks. Because if you don't have that distance, it's a really difficult one to start to, to be able to play in the right, right areas of the field. But I think one person like, I would, was really impressed with was actually when they did get um, 
they did get possession in the 22. Lana Skeldon, the hooker, absolutely pinged back ball. Um, fair play to her, like unbelievable darts to do what she did under pressure. They got a penalty, kicked the three, but she was impressive, I think. Like, yeah, she was really impressive, actually, her throwing. And then Lisa Thompson ending people for fun. And I think probably the player of the match for them would be, for me, Hannah Smith, who played at 13. She had a big ask to defend against Gazi, um, but took her try really well. And um, yeah, I was impressed with her. Okie dokie, let's move on to France v Wales. And there is a new star fullback on the block. Move aside, old girl, because Boulard is here and weighing in at four stone and nine pounds. <laughs> Good Lord, there is nothing to her. I, I genuinely have never seen an international female rugby player as slim as she is, like at, at senior level. Like, I, yeah, fair play to her, though. She's strong. The context of it for me is that Kath Ritchie was running the line, who is like a human hairpin, and she looked like Quadzilla. Like, honestly, that was, that was at the point where I was like, because at the beginning I was like, oh, she's got she is. legs, isn't she, this girl? And then she must have run down the set show and passed Kath. And I was like, good Lord. <laughs> yeah, no? she, she is the most slight player I think I've ever witnessed. Um, I remember playing against I can't remember, a couple of young players who were in the Worcester team. And they're part of the under 20s program and playing against them for was. And I remember tackling them and their legs were so small that I kept tackling and kept tackling and kept tackling. There was like no legs. I was like, where, where are the legs? Like I've got, like my, my biceps were touching before I managed to clamp them. Um, luckily, I've got quite big biceps. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, fair play. And I just love the fact that she scored on debut because she set up a fair amount of distance. Like she, she covered the ground well. Um, and just the biggest grin and the little celebrations from the players. I thought that was really cool. And, and then at 14, Bujard, um, the strangest kicking technique. She literally stands at right angle to the... I've never seen anyone kick like that before. It's like, right, she, it's like she's doing a roundhouse. It's so yes, it works. It's working for her. Well, she, it didn't when she played England a couple of years ago. But anyway, um, right. she... Okay. Yeah, no, it's just such, it's like luck of the draw. Like, why would you? Um, and it's like chucking up a balloon and then just trying to boot it across the room. Like, that's kind of... Oh, yeah. But she is a good player and she scored a hat-trick in 14 minutes. So let's not... I'm not I'm not criticising her. Um, just, again, um, the quality of that French back... Well, across the board, but the French back line looked something very special. And then you panic a little bit when you see what they've got on the bench to bring on. And then even more so when they are missing players to the seven system as well um, how good do you think France could be not just by the end of this tournament but at next year's World Cup I don't think we'll see much this tournament I think we'll see bits and pieces I feel like they may chop and change a little bit because they've got the flexibility to do that but the most impressive thing is your spot on is the depth that they're creating um, and the players that they've got coming through I think you know the fact that they've got Jesse Tremulia and Ndiaye coming off the bench and and then they've got Roma Menager, Shannon Izar, Clopel, Duran, all over in um, in Dubai. And they are your starting 15 and not just starting 15. They are World Cup final kind of standard players. You know what I mean? Like but like top in the world type of standard. Like, yeah, but it's it was impressive to see those other players that they've got on the field stepping up, 
Um, Vernier, the, the centre, got player of the match. Um, just a little shot. I mean, Sochar, the, the hooker, again, unbelievable darts. The oh, 16... You are on, like, proper hooker vibes this Well, I think what's impressive is, you know, maybe I'm a bit of a freak with my tiny hands, but that most women don't have giant hands. And so to be able to put the ball in and, and also accurately hit that ball regularly. Now, granted, Wales didn't go up and compete very much, so it does make it easier. But um, I just think it's a really impressive skill that we talked a lot about kicking. Um, and then last year when I talked about kicking, everyone decided to kick really well. So I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to acknowledge the hookers because it opens up the game in a totally different way that people probably wouldn't appreciate was possible in the women's game. There are, have been hookers, of course. Jamie Kift, actually. Um, yeah, J- uh, yeah, Jamie Kift from Wales, actually, was probably one of the first hookers to, to be able to do that, in my opinion. But and the only other person that I just wanted to give a shout out to was their number eight, Grohl. Uh, Grohl or Gross, I'm not quite sure. Nice. Um, she wears the socks down and she just reminded me of Catherine Spencer because she, Catherine Spencer, ex-England captain, she had the best calves. I was like, absolute calf game. Anyone wants to look at that? Grow, gross. Unbelievable. Sound. Don't forget to but there we go. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Okay, let's have a quick word on Wales. The final scoreline was 53-0. It's not pretty viewing. And um, it, it was a very dominant French display. Are there positives that Wales could take from it? Are there players that stood out for you, though? Um, yeah, they got blown off the park right at the start of the game. That was down to 
I think the French being excellent necessarily than Wales, you know, lacking in in desire and skill, you know, that they really were blown off the park and 30 odd points at half time, you're kind of thinking, oh my God, like this is going to be a big, big thrashing. But fair play to them. I think from my perspective, I would have expected more from some of the players, not as a personal criticism to them, but you don't know whether it's the systems that they're set up in and the plays they're trying to play because actually some of the stuff you see from those what, uh, those Welsh girls in the English Premiership is better than I saw at the weekend. Now, granted, the French are a better opposition, so you might not be able to access some of the stuff that you can do in the club game, but, you know, they're desperately trying to bring Jazz Joyce in, which you would do. She's one of the quickest players in the game, but to put it through two pairs of hands and, and, and the way that they did it was, to me, lacked a bit of tactical nafs and I, and I don't know whether that's come from the girls or come from Warren or what happens but that would be something that I would definitely want them to improve I think the other person oh it's good to see Gemma Rowland back in the Welsh shirt um it's a bit of a blast from the past for me because she's the centre that I used to play against regularly and um, so it's great to see her she's in good shape but I think the one person that it's an interesting one because Snowy took the 10 shirt and she is a 10, but I also feel like they were missing um, missing Robin Wilkins. I think she is a magnificent player. She played at fullback, but she looked a little bit lost in the position. And, and that's not because of, she, you know, I think she's a great player. She's got a lot to offer. Maybe it's because she's new to the 15 shirt um, and it was a bit, you know, overwhelming to be in a test match against France yeah. in there. But she is more confrontational than Snowy. She has got probably a slightly bigger kick when she strikes through it. Snowy's more experienced and has got different tactical kicking. But I think when you're looking at the opposition and you've got to marry physicality, to me, I would have possibly selected them the other way around. And that's to suit their strengths because Snowy's better running game, in my opinion. Um, but I think the the standout player for me from Wales was Hannah Jones at 13. I I, I really genuinely was, um, I, thought, I was blown away actually. I thought she was class in defensively. I dropped a little DM on Instagram. She has pied me, but um, I am saying. Wow. <laughs> probably, she's probably just in awe of your kind of. Like, Who is this old woman? <laughs> Starstruck. And um, one thing that worries me a little bit for Wales is they don't have a huge amount of strength and depth. So those sevens girls, um, Hannah Jones and Jazz Joyce are involved, uh, were involved last weekend, should be involved this weekend. They have been back in GB7's camp as well this week. That's a tough ask for them. The travel, the training, coming from one environment, one code into the other. So um, there's been a lot made of the fact that those girls are in the GB7s camp. I know that it was talked about when I was on the Scrum 5 podcast last week. I know that it's got coverage on the radio here in Wales. I would kind of hope that people's expectations reflective of how much they're being asked of them at the moment. So let's not be too hard on them and expect them to um, carry a team into results. One thing I did want to pick up on um, after the weekend's results and after the French looked so good and they were a joy to watch, is that we know that there are rumblings about Royal London and this Women's Lions tour. When we talked about it on the podcast the other week, um, we've got a listener who makes a real pain in the backside of himself uh, across our social media, Tom Chapman, who suggested that <laughs> why would we 
sorry, Vicky Fleetwood, that we're talking about your boyfriend like that. Um, but why would we, in the women's game, be married to replicating what the men do? And actually, after this weekend, you think, yeah, like, bin off women's lions. Let's go north v south. Let's look at that as a model that we want to have as our four-year cycle running alongside this, or probably not because of World Cups and clashes. But let's have a look at doing something that is true to the women's game and more applicable to the women's game because locking the French out of that, why would you do it? Yeah, um, it's a very good point raised by Mr Chapman, which got you a little bit reared up and you had a little bite at I think on social media. I remember seeing that, I had a little chuckle to myself. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't have the energy to answer it now, but yeah, I, I, I concur. Um, one thing I did want to talk about, which we we kind of missed out, um, and I know we've spoken about before, was there's a couple of things. So the coverage of the games at the weekend from the women's perspective, because we raved about that beforehand, so I think we need to talk about that, potentially. Yeah. And also, um, you told me the other day that, that Doncaster's ground provided you with the best pie you've ever tasted. And I yeah. just wanted to hear a little bit more about that because we hadn't, we've again spoke about the grounds and we, we kind of skipped over it because we're so engrossed in the rugby. It's one of those things where for me, I know that it's the same across the board in terms of working out the criteria for, for stadia, if you're being promoted from one league to the other, if you're going to be able to um, host international games. Doncaster remains to this day the greatest pie I've ever had at a rugby club. It, <laughs> and I know that there'll be a lot of people who follow championship rugby out there who've been, and they know what I'm talking about. Phenomenal. I remember literally like still trying to pick it out my teeth, going to interview Clive Griffiths. Oh, um, and enjoying it. One of the worst um, pitch side games I've ever covered because when it was the Green King IPA championship, I used to have to run onto the pitch with a keg to give to the player of the match. You can imagine how out of breath I was. Um, but all jokes aside, Doncaster, for me, looking at that game on Saturday, having sat there and watched on Friday evening, London Irish take on Cardiff Blues in what I think is going to be the best uh, venue in English rugby in, in years to come at their new stadium, empty because there's no fans anywhere. You know, you, you've got... Months are taking on to lose at an empty Toman Park. We are now used to watching large empty stadiums. So why did the girls get shunted to a championship ground? And that's the thing for me. It's a ground, not a stadium. And you can talk about moving the game around the country as much as you want. The biggest thing for me that typifies that this was inappropriate for an international test match is when Aurelie went to the TMO and had to say to Joy, I don't have a big screen. That shouldn't be happening at international test match level. That game should have been played at a ground where all of these things were just a given. And that really disappointed me on the weekend. I mean, I'm glad I asked about the pie, but um, the... <laughs> no, I concur. And we spoke about it on previous pods, but it, what makes me laugh is the girls were training at Twickenham. So they've actually trained at Twickenham Stadium and then they don't play their test match there. It's what it looks like on TV and even just the camera setups and everything like that. Obviously, there's a cost involved with it. 
Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't the right venue and I, and I do question it. And that's why I think it's ironic. So there's been no champ, there's no current championship TV deal. So Doncaster as a ground isn't rigged for broadcast, whereas all the premiership grounds are rigged. So when I say rigged, I mean that there are lines that run through those grounds. And when BT get there on a Saturday, they plug into them. They lay a bit more cable, but the majority of that is there ready and waiting. Now, how many of the premiership clubs played away games on the weekend? Sale is now a venue for Premier 15's rugby. Could the AJ Bell not have housed? You know, Sale are a Premier 15's club. I know the girls don't play their games at the AJ Bell week in, week out, but that is a stadium. Could that could that stadium not have been used? I know that you have an issue with Kingston Park because of the pitch, the surface there. It's not ideal for Test Match Rugby because it's a 4G, but there are options around the country. And that's where I feel like the girls got the rough end of the stick on the weekend. And I don't think if we're talking about growing the game and we're talking about the optics of women's sport, these things are small things really in the grand scheme that can be and should be a priority. Yeah, and you just wonder what the choice is. And it's really hard because all of the people at Doncaster have all put on a really good show. And like, do you know what I mean? It's not a criticism to them. It's not a criticism to what they've done because, I mean, to be fair, the pitch is going to be great because it hasn't had any games on it. Um, and I'm not getting at Doncaster. When the yeah, and I think that that's... Get down and watch them. They're a great club. Yeah, but I think it, it is about what things look like on TV and, what, and, and actually it, it didn't look great. And the fact that, um, the ref had to run over and look on an iPhone about what was happening, you know, um, and and yeah, and, and I think the other kind of leading on from that, and maybe it leads into the broadcast part, is um, I think it's fantastic that BT um, that BBC have got the coverage. Um, I think that having access for free is super important to grow. We've 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 talked about that. We've talked about the challenge, but for one thing that we I think came so used to seeing and actually just taking for granted was just how well Sky Sports covered the games and even back in you know we've been recently looking at footage from 2010 World Cup and actually even back then the way that they had studios the way that the the replays and the angles and the the coverage it and I think what what was really it was just a bit disappointing that we've made this massive leap forward to put it onto the BBC, but yeah, it was still quite difficult to find by all accounts. I had it found for me, Simone <laughs> found it and, and saved it because I was um, commentating, but um, I think access to it, but also the the massive value that you get in the punditry and around the, the, the pre, during and post-match analysis. That is where the storytelling happens. That's where you get slow-mos. That's where you get the tactical analysis from female pundits or from people to really tell the story of the game. And that's how you open it up to bigger audiences. And that it, it wasn't there. And I just, I don't, I don't get why that decision was made. And, and is it, if it's purely a cost thing, ugh, that's really quite upsetting. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's park it there for this week. The Women's Six Nations continues this weekend. I actually think that the Wales Island game, because it's being shown by BBC Wales, has studio and punditry around it. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it does. So let's hope that for everyone's sake, 
we get that this weekend because like you say the context the analysis the color is the way we're going to grow this game shall we have a bit more of a chat about european rugby we've talked about the wasps game we've talked about broken hearts um I know that you were very invested in what happened at Bordeaux, Bristol on the weekend. Uh, Paul Michelson did not get um, (laughs) the office. Yeah, to be fair, he was basically between two scrappy-doos with Callum Sheedy and Jalibert, like going at him, like nipping at his heels, like two terriers um, the whole game. I think... Like obviously I'm invest I'm invested into Bristol, having been an ex-Bristol player and just love what they do, love how they play. And yeah, just but I think for the first time ever, I really just sat back and just thought, what on earth is happening? Because at the moment the referee, Mike Adamson, was hung out to dry in that game, in my opinion. You could see in his face, like he was trying his best but he he hadn't lost the game but the support around him had crippled him and I just feel like it's such a difficult position we're expecting them to be bilingual we're expecting them to make these massive calls but yet the TMO he was working with I think he wasn't necessarily as strong as he needed to be maybe he was but he was leaving um, Mike to to hold on the field and make to make decisions um, and literally stood there waiting and Callum Sheedy, you can hear him going, what's happening ref? What's happening? This is the yellow, you know? And so he's literally stood there. He's the man in the firing line and there was literally nothing he could do. And I thought it'd be really cool if actually you explained some of the stuff. Cause I think Austin Healy expressed his opinions. Quite. <laughs> I think Craig Doyle was like, okay, this is the views of Austin, not of yeah, BT sport. I, um, I think it's that thing of, I, I, can understand and actually I, I found it quite admirable that Austin was so incensed because to me that shows that he is a TV pundit who understands how production works and he's got a really good understanding of how the TMO works so the TMO has no control over those pictures you see at home the TV director does and in this instance Austin was concerned that the French TV director was not offering the angles he could have done and it's literally down to human decision. It's down to human choice. So there might have been 15 cameras on that match. And the director could say to the TMO, and this is what we kind of assume happened on Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, the, the director could basically say to the TMO, I've only got three angles to show you. So... And he only shows him those three angles. I think they should be shown every angle to rule it out. It would take a long time, but let's be honest, those TMO decisions took a really long time on the weekend because you did feel like the TMO felt that he wasn't being shown things. So he wasn't willing to make a decision, but he was being told we've got nothing else to show you. So it became a bit of a stalemate. What I find strange is that in the World Cup, I believe I'm right in thinking that um, this was... it it wasn't the production team who did the TMOs. The TMO was done by Hawkeye. So Hawkeye were looking at everything for concussions. It's the same Hawkeye that you hear about in cricket and tennis. It's the same company. And I believe that they were making TMO decisions so that the TMO in that instance literally could press buttons and he could see, and it was only he. Like camera one, camera two, camera three, camera four, and go through all of them. Is that right? Uh, oh, it is high behind. Sorry about I, that. Oh, 
be a number as well, but they could go through the cameras and they could look at them as many times as they wanted. And they had a wheel in front of them to rewind them back. Um, what I, I don't get with Europe is that these games are, in terms of like monetarily, the impact economically that these games have on clubs is huge. So that's that's Bristol's European journey over. You know, Bristol want to win European silverware and their march to do that has now been curtailed possibly by TMO decisions. And we talked about the Wasps game. We didn't talk about the fact that the Parapass was forward and nobody looked at it. And that game came down to that score. And it's it's just worrying that these games are on such a knife edge. We've got such a dependency on the TMO now and we've got a full expectation it'll be utilised actually is it being utilized to the level it needs to be and is the best quality and is it an even and equal playing field is the standard the same at every game that we watch you know what i think the other thing is you know the more we put pressure on the referees and the tmos to do it like the kind of i'm pretty sure they earn a pittance for doing it as well so you know are we actually looking after these people properly as a game considering the effect that they can have on the game not i'm not saying buying them out <laughs> bribing them <laughs> i'm more saying you know like they've got a massive role to play and are we, are we you know are we matching that with them um, with how we support them but i i just felt for the first time ever i watched the game and i just thought this is a difficult position and also you know, players were cramping left, right and centre. It was the first time they'd all, you know, the English government probably played in the sunshine in that amount of heat. Yeah. Even the, the French players were cramping because the game was just, it was literally on fast forward. <laughs> That's how it, how it looked. And actually waiting for a TMO decision of over nearly, I think one of them was nearly five minutes. Physically, that is, yeah. like, awesome. you've massively cooled down in that, that time and the risk of then cramping and injuries and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it's something that definitely needs to look at. And I, and I genuinely didn't really, I didn't know that the production team had so much control over what the TMO does, but it's something that has to be standardized because it's just unfair. It just, it's just, it just seems a bit crazy. Well, Bristol aren't through to the quarters. You are though, my friend, you will be oh. back on Saturday. What game are you doing? I am doing La Rochelle, the super sale who absolutely pulverized the scarlets oh my god aj mcginty it have you seen aj mcginty literally kicked five thousand points set up was like assisted every single try he, he didn't do any of this but he was absolutely outstanding and then um sam warburton in comms gave it to um aka vandermeer <laughs> when ross harris questioned sam sam was like kicking goals is his job <laughs> all right. Once a forward, always a forward. There is no going back on that. Um, I am absolutely buzzing for Exeter Leinster this weekend. I am propping at the mouth. Oh, at the thought okay. of this. <laughs> You're a vile little woman. I think on that note, we should probably put this pod to bed. I need to beautify myself because I've got a photo shoot on Friday with a little gnome. So uh, I need to take a bit of a run at that now. <laughs> um, there's um, potentially something happening this week, isn't there? There and is. And it's not match point for the first it's time ever. <laughs> we are not going to say any more because we're not sure if we're allowed to. But Eek. please keep an eye across our social channels 
across try hard social channels and hopefully you will see the fruits of our labors um come to fruition over the next few days Something one thing i would say is just to finish this off um to nick the final word from lj but if anybody has got we've got some new listeners so welcome but if anyone has got any questions about six nations if you want us to cover anything in particular we do obviously cover all the games like men's and women's but if there's any bits that you find interesting or you want us to to talk about um whiz them over send them send them on social media slide into lj's dms she will take a look at your profile picture you might get an extra like you mentioned as well you said that um you know we cover men's and women's uh the chat we had about crisps the other week was really popular so we can we can extend that into a series (laughs) if that's what you want guys you tell us it's so ridiculous that and um christmas sandwiches have been the favorite oh and pointless i feel like maybe rugby is not our thing maybe we need to do that um last word bye Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.